Welcome to the study of God's Word with pastor and author Ed Taylor, recorded live from Calvary Chapel in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media, visit us online at calvaryaurora.org or download our free app on all platforms. And now, here's Pastor Ed to take us into our study. Amen. Would you open your Bibles to 2 Peter chapter 1? 2 Peter chapter 1 and Hebrews chapter 11 in a Bible study that I've entitled, Our Faith Reminds Us of Jesus' Sufficiency. That's really the message that Paul has been writing to the Hebrew believers and that we've been able to take ourselves is that we have all that we need in Jesus Christ. We're on this glorious journey of learning about the love and the care and the character of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And the thing that we're learning about the most through the book of Hebrews is that he is sufficient. He is sufficient to take care of all of your needs, everything that you might need. And I especially love how Peter wrote it in 2 Peter chapter 1. Notice with me in verse 3, 2 Peter chapter 1, he writes, as his divine power has given to us, and you might want to mark these words, all things. He's given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us by glory and virtue. That means you have everything you need by faith in Jesus Christ. Everything. Remember, Jesus summed up our relationship with God. He summed up what it is that's required of us in two simple things. He said, love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Now, Peter relates that very similarly, he says, everything you need, everything you're looking for, the peace, the comfort, the encouragement, the strength has been given to you by faith in Jesus Christ. And the more you know him, the more you enjoy it. First of all, he gives everything that you need in relationship to God, vertically. That's godliness. Godliness relates to our relationship with God. And everything you need in your relationship with God is found in Jesus Christ. And then secondly, everything you need in relationship to one another, that's horizontally, is given to you in Jesus Christ. That's life. Everything we need, all that's required, the way to peace is knowing Jesus. And if you chose to spend your entire life getting to know Jesus better through his word, through prayer, through fellowship, through obedience, through service, that would be a wise investment of your time because all things have been given to us. The Christian life is a complete package. And don't believe anyone. Don't believe anyone that would come to you and say, well, I know you have a simple faith in Jesus, but what you really need is Jesus and. And they offer you some package of doctrine. They offer you some package of religion. They offer you some new fancy teaching, some new, something new. You need Jesus and this book. You need Jesus and this video. You need Jesus and you need to follow me. You need Jesus and is not the truth of the scriptures. When you have Jesus, you have all that you need. You don't need Jesus in a self-help book. And you don't need Jesus in drugs. And you don't need Jesus in alcohol. And you don't need Jesus in endless relationships. You don't need Jesus in your own attitude. And you don't, what you need is Jesus and him alone. You need nothing else. It stops with him. 
there'll be even folks that you know that will come with you and have some new fanciful doctrine. And they'll come to you and say, oh, haven't you heard? This is brand new. I've just found it. Never, never learned it before. I hopped on the YouTube and I got this video and it's just brand new. Listen, somebody comes to you and says, you need Jesus and some, some new fanciful doctrine, something new. I'd like to revert back what the theologian Norm Geisler said. Norm Geisler was a phenomenal theologian, philosopher, and teacher, Bible teacher of our day. And he said this, he said, if somebody comes to you with a doctrine, a new fanciful doctrine that you've never heard of before, if it's new, it's probably not true. But if it's true, then it's definitely not new. That's what the Bible says. There's nothing new under the sun. And so there are always those that are repackaging things and adding to Christ. And the Jewish believers here in the first century were, being, were facing this very same thing. It wasn't enough for them to just believe in Jesus Christ. They were pulled back to, to the rituals of the religion that they left. Which, remember, doesn't make much sense because the religion in which they left, what God established in the Old Covenant, was actually pointing them to release their lives and submit them to Jesus Christ, to Messiah, when he came. So when Messiah came, they obeyed exactly what they learned, but now they're wanting to go backwards. And some of you may want to go backwards. Some of you may want to mix together the world's methods, the world's advancements. You know, I've even seen, oh, been here over the years where even pastors, they, they will get off just a little bit and they'll create a new doctrine for you. And, and they'll mix it up and they'll say, this is how you follow. You follow by following Jesus and you need my doctrine. No, you don't need their doctrine. Jesus will lead you in the right way. You, you have a Bible and the Holy Spirit and he'll reveal truth to you. And don't be caught by those that would want you to follow them because they found something that no one else has found before. You don't want to go backward, you want to go forward. And the way the world is today, you know, methods and technology, advancement and stuff, has brought, brought much confusion to the church. Primarily, confusion comes because you and I were not in the Word. The Bible reveals truth, and God reveals himself through the word and we take what we read in here and we match it with faith that's the big question here in Hebrews now for the first 10 chapters the author whom I believe is Paul laid down the doctrinal sufficiency of Christ like he didn't just say it but he showed it and he taught it he says you don't need to go backwards don't go backwards that everything you've learned prior was pointing to Jesus and now that you have Jesus you have all that you need He'll lead and guide you in the way of truth. And, and this knowledge is transforming you. So don't mix it. Don't go backwards. Don't backslide. Don't go back to religion. Don't walk, walk in fear. Don't be anxious about what you've lost, but be encouraged on what you've gained. It's all been the message of Hebrews. And remember the mindset of the followers, the Jewish believers, is they lived in an atmosphere of works. That's how they define things. They define their relationship with God by what they did and what they didn't do. They viewed everything in relation to works. Even after learning of the glorious grace of God, even after learning of the finished work of Christ, they were still very comfortable under their own works. Today we would call that legalism, where you measure your relationship with God by what you do and what you don't do. And the legalism of the religious overseers had entrenched in them a sense of pleasing God by their works. 
You know, it's easy to see that in your own life where you may feel better today. You haven't been in church in forever and you're in church today and you feel a little bit better because you're not in church. But you know that God loves you whether you're in this building or not. He loves you. He sent his son Jesus Christ to die for you. It's a great thing to be here. God created this for us. It's good for us. It's supposed to build us up and equip us for the work of the ministry. It's supposed to encourage us. It, it, God wants to meet us. He wants to get us to gather together, remind we're not alone. It's all great and it's all good and it's God's gift to us. But if you're not here, God loves you just the same. His love doesn't change. And when you recognize the love of God, that motivates you like nothing else ever will. It moves you. Love is such a high, it's the highest motivator that exists. When you love God and you recognize, as we sang today, of his goodness, it's his goodness that leads us to repentance. It's his goodness that softens us. It's his goodness that overflows in our lives that we want to ex extend to others so that we no longer do things because it's a duty. We, we now live our life because it pleases the Lord and it pleases us. We have a whole different language. And the question is, well then, if I need to keep going forward and not backward, then how do I do that? The last part of Hebrews is that application of how. You may have come to, to this gathering today. You may have tuned in on the radio or online with the question of how. How do I move forward with this difficulty? How do I move forward with this situation? How do I move forward in my relationship with God? And the answer is the same for all the questions. It says in chapter 10 of verse 38 that the just shall live by faith. Faith is the key. And faith here is defined for us or described for us in verse 1 of chapter 11. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it, and you might want to circle the word it, for by it, what do you think it refers to? Say it out loud. Faith. So circle the word it, and you probably already have faith circle, and then just write a little line there. Because that's, by faith, the elders obtained a good testimony. And by faith, verse 3, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that the things that are seen are not, were not made of things which are visible. We learned in our time last time, and we'll be reviewing this as we go through chapter 11, that faith is something that operates in the context of things that cannot be seen with the human eye. And biblical faith also operates in the realm of things that cannot be figured out with our human mind. Faith operates in that area where God's ways are not our ways, his thoughts are not our thoughts. And we access the reality of what we cannot see by faith, by believing God, as we see in verse 3, at his word. By the word of God he spoke. And we believe what God has said. <clears throat> Faith is not wishful longing. It's not wishful thinking. It's not that kind of phrase, well, I hope it might maybe one day happen. But we learn there's two things about biblical faith that are important. Number one, faith has substance. The definition of that word means foundation, assurance, a guarantee for things that we hope for. It's the substance of the things that are hoped for. And secondly, faith has evidence. Remember that word means conviction, that we believe what we have been told and we live out our conviction. Our faith is not in faith, 
Our faith is not in a man. Our faith is not in a system. Our faith is not in a church. Our faith is not in a religion. Faith, the only right place to place your faith is in the one true God who created heaven and earth and loved you so much that he sent his only begotten son, Jesus Christ, to die on your behalf. That's where true biblical faith is placed, where the substance and the evidence is found in him. Another unseen world exists. Now, there is biblical faith and there is normal faith because our whole world operates on faith. You drive by faith, you flip light switches on by faith, all the whole world lives by faith. We don't acknowledge it, but faith is a big part. This, this, this truth of trusting one another and living in mutual trust. And I found this to be true, and you have as well. The person of faith lives out his beliefs. The person of faith lives out his beliefs. What I mean is his life, her life, is committed to what his or her mind and spirit are convinced are true. Which is why if the object of your faith is not God, you'll get into all kind of weird stuff. Just stuff that you shake your head and go, you believe that? Why do you believe that? And, and what is the substance of that? And where did you get that from? And this is, an important, this is an important truth for you to grasp for your own personal walk with the Lord. Because it's a good truth to look into the mirror, as you're looking at yourself in the mirror, to really examine where you are in your relationship with God. To examine where you are. Because here's, here's the thing. It will not take very long watching your life to come to the conclusion that I know what you believe in. Where you spend your time, where you spend your money, where you spend your thinking, the time thinking, what you're committed to is where you've placed your faith in. And it's good to look in the mirror every once in a while, literally perhaps, and say, what do I believe in? And where am I, where am I spending my life? Am I, am I spending my life and wasting it? Or am I investing it in that which is eternal? When you come here to the church, you make a phone call and you meet with one of the pastors, what you call, and we don't, we're not against this word counseling, but we don't call it counseling here. We call it biblical discipleship. Because if you come here and we open the Bible with you, that's all we're doing is we're training you how to take the situation in your life and how to walk with God, how to live with God. So if you came here, and, and let's say you met with me, and, and you give me the situation, one of the things that you're going to find is when you walk into my office, you sit down, I want to get you talking. I want you to talk as much as you want to talk. 15, 20, 30 minutes, as much as I can to get you talking because Jesus taught me something about your words. He taught me something about your words. The Bible says this, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So, you know, I don't know your heart and I'll never fully know immediate the fullness of what's in your heart and what you really moves you and your motives. But I could tell you this, the more you talk, the more of your heart revealed to me. And the more I know of what's going on inside, not what you put up as a front, not the hypocrisy that you might be carrying, not the one-sided story you might be sharing with me, but more that I can get to the heart of the matter, the faster I can open up the scriptures and the Holy Spirit and say, this is what they need to hear. And I can share it with you to the reality of your heart. Same with your behavior. When you watch someone's behavior and you listen to their words, you can tell them what they believe in and who they believe in. And that's something you want to know for yourself. Just sitting in this room doesn't really mean as much as what's in your heart and what's in your mind 
and how do you choose to live your life, which means you say you're a follower of Jesus Christ and everything in your life is against the teachings of Jesus, you really need to check yourself. You can't have it both ways. You can't say you're a follower of Jesus and follow yourself. You can't say you have faith in Jesus, but you have faith in yourself. You can't have both at the same time. That's why when you choose to live by faith, people don't understand you. Because <laughs> you're living in another world and they don't get it. So because they don't get it, they want to minimize it. They will belittle you. They'll call you names. They'll, they'll get real personal with you because they don't understand it. Listen to this. Jot it down. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. A person of biblical faith that lives committed to Jesus Christ is not understood by this world, is not liked by this world, is not honored by this world. It, because the world doesn't like followers of Jesus Christ. This culture, that culture, every culture. They're anti-God. And you go, well, what do you mean? Well, notice 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. The natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. That, that's why they think you're foolish. They think you're great. Oh, you can't believe that you believe that. Do you really believe that? Do you spend so much time at church? You read your Bible, and they just think you're foolish. Why? Because they don't understand. Because they don't have a biblical faith. They don't have a faith in the one true God. They come to that place where they have to put you in a category because your life is offensive to them. Which leads me to in this thought in our church world today where Christians get all bent out of shape when people come against the church. What do you expect? Like the world doesn't like the church. The world, what do you expect from a culture that killed a perfect man? People that hate God and, and what you'll see, you'll see on social media, oh, this happened and this happened, oh, the church, everybody, the world's coming against the church. Yes, that's what should happen. The church shouldn't blend so much into the world that there's no distinction between the followers of God and the followers of this world because faith makes you different. The problem is, is you don't like to be different. So we find ourselves accommodating culturally and afraid to speak the truth and afraid to speak up and instead we'll take up fights that were never really our fights to begin with and we'll forget about the souls of men and we'll forget about the poor and we'll forget about the widow and we'll forget about the people that Jesus said these are the most important people of society because we're too busy. I can't believe the world's coming against the church. Yes, yes it should. The church shouldn't be like the world. There should be a distinction between us and those that don't follow God. Notice, this is what chapter 11 is all about. There's a distinction of men and women of faith. And notice in verse 2, for by it, by faith, the elders obtained a good testimony. Circle that word testimony. It's the Greek word martyreo. Martyreo. And as you hear that word, you Bible students might immediately think of the English word that comes from this that we use a lot, the word martyr. And when we think of the word martyr, we think of a person that has given up their life for the sake of the gospel, someone that literally was murdered and killed for the sake of the gospel. And that is the common definition of martyr. But do you know by faith, we all become martyrs to one degree or another. Whether we end up losing our life for the gospel or not, we develop a testimony by our faith. For the elders, this is so cool, 
they developed a good testimony. It was a good, faith will lead you to a good testimony. All for them before Messiah ever came. Go to the end of chapter 11 real quick. For me, I have to turn the page. Go to verse 39. After the list is already mentioned, he mentions people by name and he mentions all kinds of other people not by name. He says in verse 39, and all these having obtained a good testimony through faith didn't even receive the promise. They died before Messiah. They died before Messiah. God having provided something better for us. Our testimony by faith is even better because we have a personal, real relationship with the Savior of the world. And chapter 11, in all the commentaries I've read, all the Bible studies I've listened to on this topic, I haven't heard anyone refer to chapter 11 as the hall of failure. The hall of failure. There's a lot of failure in chapter 11. There's a lot of mistakes, sinful mistakes in chapter 11, whether we think of what happened in Abraham's life, whether we think about what Noah did. I mean, here's Noah, uh, the, one, a man called righteous, but also a man after he gets out of the ark that decides to get drunk and do really wicked things. Uh, I think of Abraham, how he was deceitful. I think of Jacob. How, I mean, there, this is a hall of failure if that's what you choose to look at, but that's not what God chooses to look at. He chooses to look beyond our failures and he looks and values the faith in our lives. Which to me, I want to be a part of something that God values. He values when I trust him. He values when, when everything looks the opposite of what he says and I say, no, I trust God anyway. I trust him. I trust him that I think it should go a certain way, but God has a different way and I will not give up on God because things don't go my way. How do you do that? By faith. <laughs> By faith. As we think of the song that we sing today, all my life, even dating back to the years where I lived in rebellion against God and I hated God and I mocked him and I made fun of him and I made fun of believers and I made fun of the Bible. I spent many years doing that. Even in those years, all my life, God has been good to me. That's a truth that can come out of all of our lips. He's been faithful and good and even that truth how God's goodness is pursuing you some of you are here today and God has been pursuing you for a long time and you've been running 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 and you're so tired of running because you found out the more you run the less progress you make you're like on a treadmill man and the numbers is going higher 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 and you go why aren't I making any progress because any type of running outside of Christ is always just running in place with nowhere to go God has purpose for your life. And instead of taking note of their failure, God took note of their faith. And this is an important encouragement to us, not only because of the truth we learned last time, because like condemnation, you know, it's easy to condemn ourselves because we all have failure. It's easy to look back. Some of us don't have to look back very far where we have regrets and we think we should have done it this way, could have done it that way, and we choose to condemn ourselves instead of accept the forgiveness of God. We learned that in our study last time. But secondly, this is encouraging because we're reminded that God uses anybody, anybody, failure or not, no matter what background you have, no matter where you've come from, no matter what language you speak, what the color of your skin is, what country you were born in, it doesn't matter what part of Aurora you live in, what part of Denver, whether you live in a house, a condo, you sleep in your car, it doesn't matter. God loves you. And as a believer by faith, he wants to use you. That's how he measures it, by his work in your life, not yours. 
Turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We need this encouragement that chapter 11 is not a hall of failure, it's a hall of faith. And it's called that by many on purpose, and that's what I choose to call it. This is a hall of faith, because faith, you'll see many, many times by faith, by faith, by faith. Even by faith, men and women got up after their failure. And you're here listening to me, you're listening on the radio right now, and your failure is what represents you. Well, by faith, by faith, you get up. Though a man falls seven times, he'll rise again. And you trust God to use you, no matter that you also obtain a testimony by faith. I mean, these are guys, men and women, boys and girls, just like you and me. No radio, though, no TV, no internet, no worldwide travel, no written Bible. Just regular people, imperfect, filled with fear and failure, and God took note of their faith and used them because God wants to use you. So to the church in Corinth in chapter 1 of 1 Corinthians, I'll draw your attention to verse 26. Paul's writing to the church then and he's writing to us now. He says, for you see your calling, brethren, that not many, notice it doesn't say not any, it just says not many. That's an important distinction. Not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called, but God has chosen the, what does your Bible say? Foolish things. The foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things that are mighty. And the base things of the world and the things which are despised, God has chosen. And the things that are not to bring to nothing the things that are, notice, so that no flesh, or basically he says so that nobody, there's not a person on the planet can glory in God's presence. Nobody can take credit for the things that God has done and will do in our lives. He says, not many. I find no greater description in the Bible of my life and what qualifies me to be in ministry than this text. Not many wise, not many noble, not many that are from mighty, but rather God has chosen foolish things. You know, the natural man just thinks everything about God is foolish. That everything we're doing is foolish. That is foolish for us that is foolish for me. You know, what the world values is not what the church values. And it's easy to write yourself off because you know, well, I'm not very wise. I don't come from a long history, a good family. I don't, I don't have a lot of money in my family. I don't have a lot of political clout. I don't have, I don't have anything. I'm broken. And all I have is nothing to offer to God. And God says, that's the kind of people I use. That's the type of people. Not many people that God uses are rich. Not many people that God uses are super smart. Not many people that God uses are mighty and have clout in society. He doesn't say not any. Some of you in this church, I have met some of the smartest people that I've met in my life. That you have just been given the amazing capacity for engineering and math and business. And some of you are just hyper smart. I'm not but God uses us. Some of you I've met, you have some of the, you have a, a tremendous family line, unlike mine. You have a tremendous family line that you can go back generation after generation of nobility and, and just great things that you can say over and over throughout all the history. I don't have that. You have that, I don't have that, and yet God still uses us. Some of you are incredibly, I have met some of the most incredibly wealthy people 
through the life of this church. I mean, seriously wealthy because of what God has blessed you with money. And, and God uses you. I'm not wealthy. God uses me. Together, we're the body of Christ. And what the world values, for example, just me and personally, from the way the world perspective, even the church perspective, someone that's standing behind this pulpit should be super well-educated in seminary. Now, let me just say, when it comes to education, I support this thought. Get as much education as you can, as fast as you can, and as a dad, as cheap as you can. <laughs> I love education. If my world wasn't started backwards, I probably would, would have been a professional student because I just happen to, don't get mad at me, but I just happen to be one of those guys where school was very easy and it got me into a lot of trouble. But from the world's perspective and even some of the church's perspective, I'm unqualified to stand behind this pulpit teaching the Bible because I don't have any education. Now, up until about three or four years ago, I literally had no degree. Now, some of you are really worried about that. Don't be. Don't be. Because God does things differently than man. And a seminary education is not necessary to teach the Bible. It's not necessary to open it, read it, say what it says, and let the Holy Spirit give instruction. It's not necessary. It's helpful, perhaps, but it's not necessary. And 17 years, 16 or 17 years into the life of this church, I was finally able to finish my two-year I don't remember what it says on the wall. I should, probably should have looked at it today, but it's packed in boxes right now. I have associates of Bible theology or something. I have something on my wall that now I'm a real pastor, sort of, kind of, at the AA level. I'm a junior, junior pastor, and I can continue to... And you're like, man, you've been teaching me the Bible? You haven't even been to seminary? Yes. Yes. And so can you. So can you. Why? Because not many wise, not many noble. Now my friend, John, my friend John is, my friend Nathan, they're very well educated. Masters, John just finished his masters, Nathan just got his doctorate, they're very well educated. But we get to co-labor in the ministry together. It's not many wise. God uses ordinary people. God uses ordinary people. He's the initiator. He does the work. He equips you, you look at it and go, well, I'm not good enough, uh, and I can't, and I don't know enough. No, that's not true. You know exactly what God wants you to know where you are right now. And you may not be called to be behind. What you're called to do may require this high level of education, and so you go after it. Great. But that's the calling of God in your life. Make sure that whatever you do in word or deed, you do as unto the Lord. So you're out driving a truck and delivering that box, you deliver it in the name of Jesus Christ. If you're working on molecular biology, fixing this, finding a cure for that, then you do it in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. You're changing that dirty, dirty diaper. You change that diaper in the name of Jesus Christ. You just tell your kid, I'm changing this in the name of Jesus. You stinky bottom one. It's not many wise and not many noble, even though there's not any. It doesn't say not any. It just says not many. And collectively, the body of Christ. You know, the Bible, like, for example, a person that's wealthy has a challenge in their life of faith. A challenge. Because a person that has a lot of money has a challenge with faith. And I'll tell you why. They will choose to trust in their money and what money can do 
instead of trusting in the Lord. That's why Jesus said it's super hard for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven. It's super hard. But it's also super hard for a poor person to enter into the kingdom of heaven. And it's super hard. No, no, it's not just super hard. It's impossible apart from a work of grace by God so that our faith is in God and not in ourselves. And so as we're studying chapter 11 in the coming weeks, understand that faith is the key. God is not looking just for your abilities. He's looking for your availability. Or as one person said, and I quote, God doesn't always call the qualified into service, but God always qualifies those whom he calls. We're his workmanship, the Bible says, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. And biblical spiritual servanthood and surrender is ordained by God, by faith, as he initiates it in our life. One more thing before we leave, verse 3. Come back to Hebrews now. Verse 3 of chapter 11. I, I, I read something that... I understood in a fresh way for the first time in all the years I've been walking with Jesus. I've been studying and reading the Bible, studying the Bible for almost 29 years in February. And this is the first time I ever saw this. And I've got Hebrews all marked up, circled, highlighted. And this is the first time that I ever saw this. And I want to share it with you. You may have already know it, but it's so cool. For me, it was like a neat revelation. In verse 3, it says, by faith... We understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that the things that are seen were not made of things which were visible. And it's easy to get caught up in creation and the battle between creation and evolution here, which this definitely answers. But I don't want you to skip over the word. It says, by faith, we. Do you know how the hall of faith starts? With us. You're already in it. You're already in. You're the first one mentioned in the hall of faith in chapter 11, follower of Christ. Because of your faith in God's word, you're already there. We believe. Do you believe today? Yes or no? Yes. You're in. All the no's, you're not in yet. Yet. Yeah, this is significant because by faith we do understand. We do grasp. We do understand that God created something out of nothing. We don't understand this by facts. We don't understand this by figuring it out. We don't understand this by seeing it with our own eyes. We don't. Think about it. At creation, and when, when everything was created, were you there? I wasn't there. I wasn't at, the, at creation, so how do I know what happened? I wasn't there. I'll tell you how I know. God told me what happened because God was there. And he's the best qualified to tell us, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God was there, and he tells us what happened. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. He tells us exactly what happened. In Genesis 1-1, it says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So I know what happened at, at creation because by faith I believe God's word, and he said he created everything. He was there. I wasn't there. So I believe this not because I was there, not because I figured it out, not because I studied it, not because I'm super smart. I believe it and I know what happened because I believe that what God said because he told me what happened. And that's the unfolding of all of the Bible. It's that simple. We make things so much more complicated than they are. We want to get into all the evidence and fight. And, and I will, in the coming weeks on our studies, we're going to go through two studies in the next couple weeks 
Uh, the first one will be on why you can trust the Bible in the context of Hebrews, and then the second one will be a secondary study on why you can trust the Bible, because it's at this point that when you're sharing the gospel, someone will accuse you of circular reasoning. And they'll say, well, what happened in the beginning? Well, I believe God created the heavens and the earth in the beginning. Well, why do you believe that? Because the Bible says it. And you go, why do you believe the Bible? Because God said that the Bible says it. So it and they'll just say, well, that's just circular reasoning. I'm like, no, no, you need to stop. I'm going to teach you and I'm going to train you how to stop that nonsense in its tracks and reveal to the person that may need a little bit more evidence to say, no, no, no. The Bible that I have in my hand that's translated into English accurately represents the autographs that God inspired through the various authors over the years. And I'm going to spend some time in the next few weeks helping you deal with that accusation of circular reasoning because it's not circular reasoning. God interrupted your life and revealed himself to you. It's not a circle. It's a straight line. It's from God's heart to your heart. And you respond not by in a circle, but you respond by coming right back to him. And the relationship is A to B. And that's it. You come, God's come to you, and you surrender to God. So we learn in verse 3 that the worlds were framed by God. We learn that because he told us. He told us how he did it. You know, we live in two different worlds. We live in the physical and the spiritual. Right now, we live in two different worlds, even in the natural realm. In the natural realm, you have everything that you can see right now. You can see the chair, you can see the pulpit, you can see your hand if you want. You have things that you can see, but also in this room is a lot of things you cannot see that are just as real as your own hand. For example, in the room right now, there, there is all sorts of music flowing through this room right now. I mean, there's, a, there's some jazz music over here that's bouncing off the walls. There, there's Christmas music going through. There, there's music that's honoring Jesus Christ. And for the music that I'm about to mention right now, I'm going to put my fingers in my ear. There's even country music in this room right now. As much as we've tried to stop it, it's in here right now, bouncing off the walls. And you go, what are you talking about? Well, there's an unseen world in this room right now that if I was to take a radio, a transistor radio with batteries in it, and tune the dial, we would pick up on every invisible, depending on what dial it is, what number it might be, you would be able to pick up what's bouncing off the walls right, but you don't see it. You can't see it anywhere. God is radically transforming your life right now, but you can't see it. You're sitting here listening to a Bible study. You can't see it. Now, when you look back a little bit, you can see the effects of the work of God, but you can't see God working in you. You can't see it. But for those of us, our lives have been transformed. We believe it. (laughs) And for those of us, our lives have been transformed. We believe it more for you than perhaps you believe it for yourself today, that God can really turn your life around by faith. So we live in the physical realm. I mean, I think of, I think of, you know, energy. Energy is invisible Atoms, molecules, gases, they're all invisible to the naked eye. Until you mix them together, they become visible. Or until you have a microscope, you know, and you you have just the right microscope and it magnifies that which is invisible to the naked eye. Well, think of it. When you think of a microscope, think of faith being the microscope to see what God is doing in the world today. Where God magnifies his work on the earth. That it's not visible to the naked eye, but we see the results of it everywhere. 
And expect God to build your faith through these men and women that's mentioned. Expect God to add to your faith. Expect God to refine you as you begin to understand the work of God in your life. And you begin to see your responsibility, not only toward God, love God with all your heart, soul, and mind, but to love your neighbor as yourself, to see the love of God overflow in and through your life. Let me give you one last scripture. Turn over to Colossians chapter 1 with me, would you? It's to the left of Hebrews, Colossians chapter 1. Colossae, a pagan city like many of the cities of the first century, godless, God-haters, pagan worshipers, idolaters, I mean messed up. But the gospel came to their city, Jesus was preached, people repented of their sins and were saved. And check out what happened to them. Pick up with me in verse 3. Paul says, as he writes now to these, this group of believers, we give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we heard of, and you might want to mark these words along the way, we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus, your love for all the saints, because of the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, of which you heard before in the word of truth, of the gospel, which have come to you, it is also in the world and is bringing forth fruit, as is also among you since the day you heard and knew of the grace of God and truth. You learn from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who's a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf, who also declared to us your love in the Spirit. Not only do you read of these changes, faith, hope, love, truth, fruit, but you also read that the entire Godhead is present in Colossians. You have God the Father, you have Jesus Christ, you have the Spirit in verse 8. That's what happens. God invades your life and he adds to you things that you didn't have before. Things that you've longed for and didn't know how to put your finger on. Things where people are searching all over the world trying to figure out what's my identity, what's my personality, what am I... And they're trying to find when everything's found in Jesus Christ. He's your all in all. By faith in him, you have all that you need. This world has nothing to offer you. It's all temporary. It's all passing away. But in Jesus Christ, you have all the necessities to make you right with God, and right with others. And you want your faith to grow? Hang out with people that are men and women of faith. Hang out with people that have a song in their heart. Be a man or a woman of God's word. Be a prayer warrior and step out in obedience and you'll see God do wonders in your life. Father, we ask for the Holy Spirit to make alive the truths that we learned today. How easy it is for us to magnify our own failures to magnify our own weaknesses, to write ourselves off like he could never use us. You know, maybe I, I have too much money, I can't serve, or I don't have enough money, I can't serve, or I don't have a degree, or I have too many, and we just have all these reasons why we take a step back from believing you. And would you just encourage us today to take a step forward, even when things aren't, like, like we see the situation, Lord, I know I just lift to you the thing in my life. I, it is absolutely impossible. It, it, it is, I feel like um, um, Moses backed into a corner. I've got the Red Sea in front of me, it's impassable. I've got two big mountains on the side of me, I, uh, unclimbable. I've got the Egyptian enemy, army, evil, wicked people of God chasing me from behind and just doesn't look good. And I pray maybe that describes someone here, God, it just doesn't look good. It looks like it's done. We're tempted to say like the wandering nation, oh, why'd you bring us out to the wilderness, God? And I know your lesson is because I love you. I delivered you from Egypt. 
and I split the Red Sea. Just trust me. Follow my leader. And I pray that over our congregation, God, now or in the future, that we would be men and women of faith and we would live by trusting you. It doesn't matter what we see or what we feel or how it looks. You are a God who keeps his promises. You are a promise giver and a promise keeper. It's all on you. It's not on us. And we respond by believing you. What must I do to do the works of God? Believe on him whom he sent. And we do that together today in Jesus' name. Amen. We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Aurora. For prayer or a copy of this study, call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223. Or visit us online at calvaryaurora.org. Be blessed as you worship Jesus this week.